You're listening to the Union Church Podcast. For more information about Union, please visit unionboston.org. I want to be upfront with you today uh, by means of transparency that in a way I really did not want to preach this sermon today. Um, I'd, I'd much rather preach one of those feel-good sermons. Uh, it's a little bit easier to preach those, you know, those sermons that just make you happy, glad, because God has been so good to you. Uh, it, it's, I don't want to preach this sermon because it's, it's a hard one to preach. It's a hard thing uh, to talk about uh, because it hurts. But a sermon, you see, must always be preached in the context of the real world in which real life realities face us. And the fact of the matter is that today, the United Methodist Church is divided. And for the past 50 years, the United Methodist Church has been debating homosexuality. Since 1972, the denomination, the United Methodist Church, has been at each other's throats. Although 20 years ago, Union decided to be affirming of LGBTQI persons, the United Methodist Church as a denomination has been torn. You know, in 2000, when we voted to become a reconciling congregation, uh, we decided once and for all to be a place of unconditional love, of radical inclusion, and justice for all. A place that affirms and welcomes gay folk and lesbian folk and bisexual folk and queer folk and straight folk and transgender folk, everyone, all people called children of God. But later on this week, uh, Reverend Charlene and Minister Adama and I will travel to St. Louis, Missouri with thousands of others to participate in the special general conference of the United Methodist Church. And the general conference is like the Congress of our denomination, and it usually meets every four years on the U.S. Uh, presidential election cycle, uh, but a special general conference has been called, uh, which will begin on this Saturday. It's been called because over these 50 years, uh, we've been fighting, and it's gotten to a point where uh, the, the pot is boiling over, and a decision must be made. You know, I, I didn't really want to preach this sermon because for us, the record here at Union is already straight or queer, <laughs> or just to be clear, uh, I, I did not want to focus on something that has already been settled for us. You like the wordplay? <laughs> However, on Thursday, Valentine's Day, uh, I, I received this email. Uh, Hello, Reverend Williams. I'm looking for an LGBTQ affirming church. Boston and someone suggested your congregation. I grew up as a Christian in the Caribbean until my mid-20s when I came out to my parents and had to leave my church that I loved very much, but I had to leave because of their anti-gay beliefs. 
I tried other denominations, but most of the island is too conservative, uh, to the point that some denominations have cut their affiliation to the main church in the U.S. Uh, This person writes, I'm now 42 years old and have been living in the States for the past 12 years, and I've not been a member of any church since I moved to the U.S., because I'm aware that a local congregation or a district may be gay-affirming, but the denomination might still be anti-gay. And I resent this dissonance. Finally, person writes, I was reading something from the United Methodist Church's Book of Discipline about ordination of openly LGBTQ ministers, and it says, quote, that homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teachings. And he finally concludes, What's the case with your congregation and your denomination? So herein lies the struggle, beloved. Union is a bit of a unicorn. We live uh, in an almost magical world. (laughs) A world uh, that is a world away from the official United Methodist Church's position. And although I joke about it, seriously, it's a bit of an embarrassment, right? That the official stance of the United Methodist Church goes a little something like this. On the one hand, in Article 4 of the United Methodist Constitution, it is written, the United Methodist Church is part of the church universal, which is one body of Christ. The United Methodist Church acknowledges that all persons are of sacred worth. And then on the other hand, in the social principles, it is written that we affirm that all persons are individuals of sacred worth, created in the image of God. But the United Methodist Church does not condone the practice of homosexuality and considers this practice incompatible with Christian teaching. So here is the contradiction, right? written in black and white and has been the very reason that our church has been uh, in struggle for these 50 years. And, and to be honest, we're, at, we're on the brink of a division as a denomination, perhaps even a, a schism, because the church has deemed queerness a, quote, chargeable offense, which is a fancy way of saying a church crime So being gay, being a self-avowed practicing homosexual for the United Methodist Church is the tantamount equal to uh, child abuse, sexual harassment, and financial impropriety. So in five days, the General Conference or the Church Conference will gather in St. Louis to decide whether this unjust church law will continue to fester or whether a gospel of love will prevail. Because, you see, my, 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 literally, my standing here today is a crime in the United Methodist Church as a self-avowed practicing homosexual. Now, you, some of you may be wondering, you know, so what is all this about? Is it, are you just talking about church politics and, and denominational politics? So why does this matter? The, 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 the case is, the, the fact is that this matters for us all, straight and gay, because people are dying both literally and figuratively. 
that, that queer folk, especially transgender folk, are still being beaten and killed in the streets every year. The LGBT community, it is written by the Southern Poverty Law Center, is much more likely to be violently attacked than any other marginalized group in the United States. And the transgender community especially is vulnerable. And, and get this, the church has played a role in this violence. The church has not only been complicit in this violence, but it has been a major culprit of the violence. And we all, as a church, bear that responsibility. We bear responsibility for it. Why? Because the church has a powerful voice, especially when speaking on behalf of the divine. That when we speak on, it is written in Proverbs that, that, that life and death are in the power of the tongue. So when we as the church claim that power, speak on behalf of God, and then speak violence against children of God, we bear responsibility for the violence that is being done to them. And when violence is being done in your name, we all must speak up. We all must speak out against the violence. Because not only are too many people literally being killed because of it, but many LGBTQ persons are not living fully, not living the abundant life. Jesus came to give us life that we might have it more abundantly. In other words, that we might flourish, that we might not simply survive, but we might thrive. So people are literally dying, being killed, and not living the abundant life, which is the root of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we must speak life to the dying in the midst of death. So as the first historically, predominantly African-American congregation in the United Methodist Church to welcome LGBTQ folk union I'm talking about, as, as this congregation that has historically always stood on the side of the right, of justice, we must continue to speak life for such a time as this, because to whom much is given, much is required. To whom much is given, much is required. So, so beloved of God, I, I just want you uh, to understand what faces the denomination, because it will have an impact on union, even though our position will not change. It does, ch it, it, this, the, what's, the general conference has a potential to change how our denomination, how our church, our denomination is organized, so therefore it will change how union's relationship to the mother church, to other churches, uh, will be in the years uh, to come. So that's why I want you to just bear with me and understand there are four potential ways forward for the United Methodist Church. A traditionalist plan, a traditionalist plan that, that basically uses coercion and colonialism to uphold the discrimination that's already written in the Book of Discipline. And, and then it goes further because it will, it will basically seek uh, to uh, go out and, and on a witch hunt against self-avowed practicing homosexuals in churches like Union that affirm same-sex unions. Remove me and others from the pulpit uh, in order to fit into this archaic and unjust way of viewing the world. That's one plan before the General Conference. The second plan before the General Conference is known as the Connectional Church Plan, 
which would essentially divide the denomination into regions not based on geography, but by theology. Why is this important? Because it takes us back in our Methodist history. Okay, so, so just a quick lesson. In 1844, the United Methodist Church split over slavery. And then when it rejoined in 1929, when they rejoined, all black people were segregated into what was known as the central jurisdiction. So it didn't actually matter where you lived, but all black people across the country were part of a non-geographic jurisdiction. So then when the church, the United Methodist, was formed in 1968, it was vowed that we would never again divide the church on anything other than geography. That there couldn't be political or philosophical or theological conferences within the church. But the second plan would seek to go back to a time where Jim Crow ruled the day. And the One Church Plan is similar onto that it, because it, it would keep the United Methodist Church as one denomination, but it would still allow every locality to determine where it stands. So a conference can vote to be pro-gay, but a conference could also vote to be anti-gay. And why this is so dangerous is, and there's actually a lot of momentum behind this plan, but it's so dangerous because it, it gives, the, the, it gives the, 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 the appearance that the church is unified, right, and that the issue of homosexuality is settled, uh, and it would keep the denomination from splitting, but it does so at the cost of queer folk. So it sacrifices queer folk in order to keep the United Methodist Church a single denomination. So it looks like a lot like 1950s segregation, where in some parts of the country you could, uh, uh, you could drink from the water fountain and on other parts of the country you could not. So this one church plan, even though it would prevent a church schism, still recovers a racist logic, a segregationist logic that sacrifices some for the so-called whole. And then there's a fourth plan, a simple plan, and that's the plan that I'm supporting. That's why I'm going to General Conference to give voice to who we are here at Union and to, to make clear that the gospel is not very complicated. It's actually rather simple. That, it, that there, there's three principles that ground the gospel, unconditional love, gracious inclusion, and justice for all. Help me, somebody. The plan is simple, to, to remove all discriminatory and punitive language against gays and lesbians from the Book of Discipline because it's really simple. There are three simple words that are written that God is love. Somebody ought to say amen today. I'm going to General Conference, we're going to General Conference, Adama and Charlene and others, we're going because there are three simple rules that have framed the United Methodist movement. Three simple rules, you do no harm, you do good, and you stay in love with God. The theological foundation of the simple plan is that the gospel of love and of inclusion is the very highest calling of a Christian. And that the word of God is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, the word of God, spoke not a single word of condemnation against gay folk. Full stop, period. The grace of Jesus Christ is freely given and sets the oppressed 
free. So in the end, the simple plan does not sacrifice LGBTQI plus persons as less than human in order to keep the so-called United Methodist Church united. It does not sacrifice some on behalf of the whole. I don't know what's going to happen in St. Louis. Uh, there's lots of fear, lots of anxiety, a bit of concern. But amidst all the anxiety and all the fear, all the confusion, all of the concern, I am reminded of one thing. As the praise team sang, one thing remains. God's love never fails. And, and while the church might fail you, there is no failure in God. And our faith is in God, not in the church. Our faith is not in the church. Our faith is in the Christ, who is Jesus. And Jesus is the word of God. And God is love. And God loves us all, just as we are. So the bottom line is this, beloved, that Jesus broke the law in order to fulfill the law. Jesus broke the law in order to fulfill the law. Here's what I mean. Go read Matthew chapter 12 again. You know, the, the disciples were hungry. The disciples were hungry, and there was food around. And, and Jesus and the disciples began plucking the grains of the field, but it was the Sabbath. And, and the, the Old Testament law said, you don't work on the Sabbath. You don't pluck the grains on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, my people are hungry. I will break the law in order to feed the hungry. And then similarly, he said, he said don't remember uh, King David of the Old Testament, too, upon which the, the nation of Israel is founded, that he, too, there was food in the temple. His people, his troops were hungry. Uh, only the priests were supposed to eat the food in the temple, but King David went into the temple and used the bread that was off limits according to the old law in order to feed those who were hungry. And then finally, in Matthew chapter 12, it says, a man who was sick came to Jesus, needing a healing, needing to be restored what was Jesus supposed to do? He said, if you had a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath, would you leave it there until Monday? Absolutely not. He says, don't be ridiculous, right? Don't be silly. The law, the law, the law is love. The law is Grace. So do whatever you must by all means to feed the hungry, to heal the sick, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim that not tomorrow or the day after that, that today is the year of the Lord's favor. Thanks be to God. Jesus says, don't be ridiculous. Don't allow rules and regulations ever to beat out your common sense. The golden rule is this. Love everybody and treat everybody right. And all rules are rooted in this one foundation, this one golden rule. So don't let words from another time and place 
taken out of their original context force you to hurt someone who's standing right in front of you. The golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So it's not rocket science. It's not complicated. It's pretty simple that Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus came to set the oppressed free. Even though it's not complicated, sometimes I will admit I forget this basic truth. Sometimes amidst all the fighting and talking of incompatibility and homosexuality, forget this basic truth and foundation. But on the eve of this special general conference, I am reminded this day that the church cannot and never will be able to vote on my worth. That I am created in the image of God. That we all are children of God. Full stop. No exceptions. That's the final word. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about Union Church, please visit unionboston.org.